like to invite you to bow your heads for a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the blessing of this day. The world is changing around us and less and less people recognize that this is a holy day. But we need to lift up the banner. We need to preach about the Sabbath and its sanctity. And this is a day that you have separated. And the purpose is to have communion with us. So we can stop doing what we are doing on other days of the week and just focus on you. So help us, Lord, to focus on you and on this miracle that happened on a Sabbath day. Send your Spirit to teach us and lift up our souls. And we want to thank you in the, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I remember a story about a pastor who was preaching about the Sabbath. And in his sermon, he used an example that if, let's say, I have an apple tree in my yard. And I am hungry on a Sabbath day, and I'd like to eat apple. Can I go and pick some apple from my tree, my apple tree in my yard? And eat those apples. And, uh, and he said, of course I can eat my own apple, even if I pick it on the Sabbath, because I am going to eat those apples. And at the end of the sermon, there was somebody who went to the pastor and, and told her that, told him that if you pick more than what you can eat. What do you think you can do with the rest? And she had a question, do you think you can sell the rest? And there was somebody else who came to the pastor and to this lady, and he said, of course you can sell it, but not on the Sabbath. Then uh, there was another person coming and uh, he said, um, you cannot really sell the apple even on another day of the week because you picked it on the Sabbath. And finally there was another person coming to the group of, of this discussion and, and uh, he was asking if I have a cherry tree in my yard. How many cherry can I pick on a Sabbath? And you can go on and on and on with the story. And the question is, what can I do on the Sabbath? Sometimes we focus on, on the don'ts. So we say, we cannot do this, we cannot do that. But, we don't focus on what we 
can do on the Sabbath. And of course, we should never be lost in the small details because then we are becoming so legalistic that we don't know what to do with, with our right hand or left hand. And I'd like to uh, read a story and, uh, and just share some of my thoughts as we read this story. And this is found in the Gospel of Luke. In our Bible commentary, the SDA Bible commentary, I, uh, I, I have found some statistics. And it, it shows that in the four Gospels, you will find about 20 healing miracles, 20 different healing miracles. And of course, there are some who are repeated in Matthew and Mark and Luke, but if you, if you take each one as, as one miracle, then you will find about 20 different healing miracles. I'm just talking about healing miracles because Jesus performed other miracles, but if you think about the healing miracles, there were about 20. And um, interestingly enough, seven of the 20 happened on a Sabbath day. So it seems that Jesus purposefully performed miracles, healing miracles, on those Sabbaths. And of course the question is, what was his purpose? Why did he do that? So let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 6. And I'm reading verses 6 to 11. This is Luke chapter 6, and I'm reading verses 6 to 11. It says, now it happened on another Sabbath also, that he entered the synagogue and taught. There was nothing unusual, because Jesus went to the synagogue whenever he could, and on a Sabbath he went to the synagogue and, and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. He was paralyzed. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely. In the original text, it says they kept watching him. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another, 
what they might do to Jesus. What is this? Is this a miracle? Yes, it is. When did this miracle uh, take place? On a Sabbath? And where? In a synagogue? We can assume that it happened during the service. So part of the Sabbath worship service was a miracle. And this man, according to Luke, who had a withered hand, he was a paralyzed right hand. We don't know what caused it. But Jesus healed this man. But it is very interesting that there were some who were practically spying on Jesus. Because the Bible says that they watched him closely. They kept watching him. What is he going to do? And of course the question is, why did they watch him? Was it anything wrong with healing on the Sabbath? Well, it depends. It depends. Because if you look at those teachings given by rabbis in the time of Jesus, you had to think twice before healing somebody on the Sabbath. And I checked into that because I was curious what the trouble was. Because it was good. And I believe we can all agree that we can do good things on the Sabbath. What do you think? Can we do good things on the Sabbath? Of course we can. So why did these people kept watching on Jesus? Well, in their mind, there was something beside the Ten Commandments. And these were the teachings of the rabbi that later were collected in a book and written down. We call it the Mishnah. And it is very interesting that in the Mishnah, if, if you go online, I did it yesterday, we can go online and download the whole Mishnah. That's about 2,000 pages. It's a huge book. Um, when I was a student at Andrews University, uh, in the reference library, I found the Mishnah. Mishnah is still there. You can read it. Even the Talmud is there. It has about 28 volumes and still working. They are still working on that. And, of course, the Mishnah was the oral tradition of the Jews. And when they were afraid of losing the oral tradition, they decided to write it down. Later on, they had more commentary on the Mishnah, which was a commentary on the Torah. So they started collecting and writing more and more books. By the time of, of Jesus... Of course, the Mishnah was not written, but it was an oral tradition, but the Jews memorized it. And what I found on the internet, it was interesting that there were 
rabbinical regulations. And as far as I know, chapter 7, interestingly enough, chapter 7 of the Mishnah is about the Sabbath. And right from the beginning, you can find a list of 39 things you cannot do. 39, that's a list, plus an explanation and more regulations and so on. And of course, it deals with healing on the Sabbath. And you know what they did? They said, if it is a chronic sickness... You can wait until the sunset. It's in the Mishnah. If it is an acute illness, or if there is a danger of death, you can heal the person on the Sabbath. Of course, there they differentiated between different kinds of sicknesses. And I had no time to read the whole, the whole tractate. This is one chapter. It's about the Sabbath. But they picked certain sicknesses that can be healed on the Sabbath, while other sicknesses cannot be healed on the Sabbath. And so in their mind, there was a strange idea that Jesus is performing something which was not life-threatening. He was not life-threatening because this man had a withered hand, but he was still moving around. There was not something, uh, a danger of death. There was a chronic illness. And so in their mind, they thought, Jesus, you are not supposed to heal this man because it's not not life-threatening. But as we read the story, it, it is interesting that Jesus asked a question. And let's go back to the Bible, Luke 6. And verse 8 says, But he, meaning Jesus, knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood What was this? He knew their thoughts. So Jesus was really reading their mind. And he knew that in their mind they said, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to do this. Because it is something not life-threatening. It's not an acute uh, illness. You're not supposed to heal this man. You should wait until the sun Sunset. And so Jesus wanted to call the attention from himself to this man. And he invited him to stand in the middle so everybody could see him. He was really sick. But he's been sick for quite a bit of time. And then Jesus asked a question. I will ask you, verse 9, one thing, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, 
to save life or to destroy? It's interesting that in the terminology of Jesus, he is not using the, the word sickness or illness. But he is saying that can you do good? Can you do good on the Sabbath? And we agreed before. Did, didn't we agree that we can do good on the Sabbath? Healing somebody was a good thing? What do you think? Healing somebody is, is a good thing? Even today to heal somebody? We've been praying for Lily for, for years. And we were hoping that God will be merciful to her and she will be healed because it's good. Sickness is no good. So Jesus is asking them, what do you think? Is it lawful to do good? Or to do evil? What is that? Even if you say, yes, you can do good, then you would immediately add, no, you are not supposed to do evil. Can you worship on a Sabbath day when you are planning to do evil? Can you compromise in your mind and worship in your mind? But at the same time, think evil? Why do you think Jesus asked this strange question? To do good or evil? Nobody wants to do evil on the Sabbath or any other day of the week. So what do you think the question was really, what was it, it, it targeting? And then Jesus even added something else. To save life or to destroy. You're not supposed to destroy life on, on any other day of the week, especially not on the Sabbath. So what do you think the question was behind these questions? Well, it's interesting that you will find the same story in Matthew, a slightly different form. And if you read Mark, that's also a little different. And I just want to pick a few words, if you don't mind, from uh, Matthew first and then from, Luke, from Mark and compare those slight differences or you can, you can say that these are complementary differences, so they are not contradictory, but complementary. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, you will find the same story. I'm not reading the whole, because it's mostly the same, same wording. Matthew 12, and then beginning in verse 9, all the way to 14. And if you go to to the second half of verse 10. This is Matthew 12 and then verse 10.
It's interesting that not Jesus is asking the question according to Matthew, but the scribes and the Pharisees. What was their purpose? They ask, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And their reason was for asking is that they might accuse him. So they were not really interested in an answer. That they wanted to accuse him. And uh, what was Jesus' answer? This is a little different from Luke. Verse 11. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it? And lift it out. What is this? The question was, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What is healing? Isn't healing saving? Saving a life? Saving somebody's health. Then in, in, in his answer, Jesus is saying, what if you had a sheep, just one, and it, it, it fell in a dip or in a ditch? What will you do on the Sabbath? Will you wait until the sun sets? Or will you pull, pull the sheep out? So saving life, is it important or not? Well, it is. But then Jesus adds something. And this is the interesting point. Verse 12. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Please notice something. What was their question? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And what was Jesus' answer? Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Do you see the difference between the way how Jesus was thinking and these scribes and Pharisees were turning something in their minds? And so Jesus, according to Matthew, healed this man. And verse 14 says, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Same thing as we found in Luke. And now let's go to Mark. Mark 3. This is a little different, but it's a complementary story. So it, it adds to the meaning something. Mark 3, chapter 3, and the first six word verses. And in verse 4, Then he said to them, 
Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Almost the same question as we found in in Luke. But, But Mark adds something. It's a small detail, but important. He said, but they kept silent. Why? Why do you think they kept silent? They should have known the answer. They probably did. But they kept silent because they, I think that in their mind they were waiting for something else to come. And they were hesitant to say yes or no. And sometimes it happens in life, even today, that if somebody somebody has some twisted idea and you ask a question, the person who has the twisted idea would never respond to you, to you but would keep silent. Just to wait what's going to happen next. What happened next? Verse 5, And when he had looked around at them with anger, I like this Bible verse. <laughs> do, you, do you like this Bible verse? Jesus looked at them with anger. Uh, sometimes we, we have a feeling that if someone is angry, it's no good. It's a sin. But when you are angry at sin... Is not a sin. Think about that. If you are angry at a sin, that's the only occasion when anger is not sin. So Jesus was angry with them. Why? It says, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out, and immediately this all happened on the Sabbath. And immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. We know that the scribes and the Pharisees hated the Herodians. Because the Herodians supported the ruling dynasty. And uh, the Pharisees were against the Herodians because they believed that the Her- uh, King Herod the Great was not a real Jew, so they would not work with him. But when it came to plotting against Jesus, they became friends. Have you ever been in a situation in your life when somebody made friends with another person who was his, her enemy before, 
just to join forces against you. Have you ever been in a situation? It's a very strange situation, but it could happen, and that's exactly what happened in the time of Jesus. Nothing new under the sun. So they went out on the Sabbath, even from the synagogue. The first stop they went was not their home, but they went to the Herodians. And in spite of the fact that it was still the Sabbath, they discussed how to destroy Jesus. So it comes back to the question of Jesus, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? On the Sabbath, is it lawful to do good or save life or destroy life? And so these Pharisees who knew by heart all the teachings of the rabbis, the so-called oral tradition, in their mind they said Jesus is not doing it right because he is breaking the Sabbath. If you read the context of this story, it's interesting that Jesus is talking about himself who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Just maybe a chapter before this story. It's in the larger context. And to me, it's amazing that the one who gave the law of the Sabbath is now accused of breaking the Sabbath. Isn't that strange? So the only one who knew the real meaning of the Sabbath, and of course the meaning of the Sabbath was blessing, because God blessed that day, separated from the rest of the other days of the week. Now he is who gave the Sabbath, is accused and plotted against, and they wanted to destroy him all on the Sabbath. So what, what is this? What can we learn from, from this story? Because it says, Mark says that they immediately, immediately plotted. They left everything. They left the place, the synagogue. They didn't wait until the end of the service, but they left. And so they were plotting against him. Why do we worship Sabbath? Why do you worship Sabbath? Why do you come here to worship? If you go to the origin of the Sabbath, you need to go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And it says that on the seventh day God rested and hallowed that day. According to the New King James Bible, God ended his work. The NIV says God had finished the work he had been doing. The New American Standard Bible translates God completed his work. So God rested after completing the work of creation. How much more should 
we rest on a Sabbath day, even if we don't complete our work, which we started a few days before. And of course, when you want to look for the commandment, or the commandment, the fourth commandment is found in two places of the Bible. As you probably know, Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, and Deuteronomy 5, verse, uh, chapter 5, and verses 12 to 15. And those are two different descriptions about the Sabbath. The first one in Exodus it leads us back to the creation. And uh, it starts with remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But the other one is interesting because if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and if you can go there just for a second, this is, this is something different. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and uh, I, I'm not reading the whole passage, just a, maybe a couple of verses. But this is, I think, very important because it starts with another word. I don't know if you have noticed that, but this is a small detail, but I think it's important. It says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And of course, the word remember comes back a little later in this passage. If you go to Deuteronomy 5 and verse 15... It says, and remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Why do you think we have these two different descriptions of the same thing? If you see a conflict, you would say, we don't know. Maybe it's a mistake. Because it should be the same thing in two places. Um, but you can always say it's complementary. Because one reason for keeping the Sabbath is creation. It never changes because God created the world. The other reason for keeping the Sabbath is liberation. Setting someone free. And there was Martha's poem. What about healing? Is healing means Setting somebody free? Is it good? So you can do good on the Sabbath and you would remember, you observe the Sabbath and remember the story of the Jews that they were slaves in the land of Egypt, but God brought them out of the land, so he set them free. And of course the question is what kind of mentality do you bring to the Sabbath? 
when you come to worship. Do you know that there is one psalm, one psalm out of the 150 that is about celebrating the Sabbath? Do you know which one is that? There's only one out of the 150. Only one. And so when we, we discovered this uh, with Martha, then we decided to read it every Friday evening. When we have the Friday evening worship at home at sunset, we go to Psalm 92. That's the only psalm that talks about the Sabbath worship. I don't want to read the whole psalm, just part of this, but this is beautiful. And it gives us an understanding what the real meaning of the Sabbath is. Psalm 92. And it has a title, and the title says, A Song for the Sabbath Day. And in my Andrew's Study Bible, there is a commentary here which says, A Love Song for God of the Sabbath. A love song. So I'm just reading part of this psalm. If you have time this afternoon or, or tonight when you have the closing worship, Sabbath closing worship, please read this psalm. It's not long, not that long. I'm reading the first six verses. It says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. This is about God, who is the creator. It's a beautiful description about about thanksgiving because of the character of God and the power of God and because of his works and his thoughts that are very deep. And if you go to the end of the psalm, to verse 12 to 15, it says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age, They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Beautiful psalm. If you didn't know this, please remember, 92. That's the only psalm about worshiping God on the Sabbath day because of his creative power. How do we value one another?
especially on a Sabbath day. Do we believe that Jesus reads our hearts and minds? And so he knows what we think while we smile. When we shake hands, maybe in our mind there is something else going on. While we are sitting here and listening, our mind can wander to the other side of the globe, thinking of anything. But according to this story, Jesus was reading their mind. And so he made it very clear that this is good to do good. Because when God finished the work of creation, the Bible says it was very good. So you join God when you do good on the Sabbath. And I'd like to read something from Desire of Ages. If you don't mind, just give me a minute. I found something under a chapter, which is chapter 29. If you have ever noticed that in uh, the Desire of Ages, chapter 29, Ellen White is dealing with the whole issue of the Sabbath. This chapter has a title, The Sabbath. So in Desire of Ages, there is a chapter about the Sabbath entitled The Sabbath. And Ellen White is going through some miracles in this chapter, discussing some miracles, including this one, about the man who had a withered hand. And it seems to me, after reading this chapter, that he is, she is making two conclusions. She is pointing to two basic principles when it comes to the Sabbath. And I think we should never forget these principles. Number one is what did the Jewish leaders do in the time of Jesus? And this, there was a surprise to me as I read this, this sentence. The Jewish leaders accomplished the will of Satan, the will of Satan, by surrounding God's rest day with burdensome requirements. In the days of Christ, the Sabbath had become so perverted that its observance reflected the character of selfish and arbitrary men rather than the character of the loving Heavenly Father. Just by protecting the Sabbath, it says that they perverted it, and its observance reflected the character of selfish and arbitrary men. The rabbis virtually represented God as giving laws which it was impossible for men to obey. Read the Mishnah, chapter 7, about the Sabbath. And you will not be surprised, because in the time of Jesus, they represented a God who practically gave laws that was impossible to, to keep. 
They led the people to look upon God as a tyrant and to think that the observance of the Sabbath as he required it made men hard-hearted and cruel. That's a very sad principle. They destroyed the whole thing, the whole blessing of the Sabbath. And then another principle, which is positive, I'd like to finish with this one. It says Christ would teach his disciples and his enemies that the service of God is first of all. The object of God's work in this world is the redemption of man. Therefore, that which is necessary to be done on the Sabbath in an accomplishment of this work is in accord with the Sabbath law. Think about that. Redemption. Jesus crowned his argument by declaring himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. One above all question and above all law. It's a very surprising sentence. But it talks about something which is a danger even today. When we try to uphold something, we could still miss the core value. We can still miss it. And that's exactly what happened to the Jews in the time of Jesus. They surrounded God's law with the Mishnah, later with the Talmud, in order to protect the law. And they represented a God that is given laws that nobody could really keep. And it made people hard-hearted and cruel. She's using this term, cruel. So it was nothing to do with uh, redemption, doing good, or healing. What do you think? What is the purpose of keeping the Sabbath? Isn't that for our good? Isn't that the purpose of giving us the Sabbath? To enjoy the goodness of God and to understand something about his thoughts that are very deep based on Psalm 92. Marvelous are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. So my prayer this morning is that our good Lord would teach us not only keeping something, but really enjoying the day. Because this day is for our good. And this day is for the good of everyone. And whatever we can do, to be part of God's redemptive work, we should do it. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. So may God bless us as we really celebrate not only this morning hour, but in the afternoon, 
And so I just want to pray that our good Lord would give us an understanding and give us a humble heart to accept his gift because that's his gift. Sabbath is his gift. That's the greatest gift God can give us. May his name be glorified. Amen.